Thank you, Tim. Thank you, worship team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had as we think and praise the Lord for His great faithfulness. I invite you, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 126. As I said earlier, we are working continually through our uh, series of family worship and thinking about all of what that means as a family here at Lilburn First Baptist Church and uh, how we see that dialed down or even broadened out as we celebrated last week and we think about how this affects us on a day-to-day basis. And of course, this morning we are looking at uh, God's restoring power and really crying out that God would restore us, O Lord. We like things to be restored. We like the things that we used to have. In fact, uh, there are many of you, maybe you take an interest in classic cars, and maybe the reason you take an interest in classic cars is because one time that classic car was new to you. You like to see, you like to find, maybe you find it in somebody's barn somewhere, somebody's backyard, and all of a sudden you like to see that precious thing that you once had, that you once held so dear, restored to where it's usable and functional and to its full splendor and to its full glory. Well, isn't it a wonderful thing that we have a God who does that very thing with us, that He restores us, that He restores us personally, He restores us collectively, He restores us not only to remember what He has done in the past, but restores us to remember what we ought to do now on the basis of His great faithfulness in the past. So grab your copy of God's Word and read with me, if you will, from Psalm 126. Uh, We are going to read all all of six verses, uh, so read with me if you will. Psalm 126, starting in verse 1, says this, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come at this moment now into your word, as we still have the song ringing in our ears of your great faithfulness, we cry out, restore us, O Lord. Restore us to remember how great your faithfulness is. The wonders of your redeeming love. The ways in which you have so profoundly worked in and transformed our lives. Father, we pray also that not only would you give us the sweet memories of enjoyment that we have had and recalling all of those things, but Father, we pray also that you would stir us with great hope and great anticipation of what you are going to do. Because your faithfulness that has sustained us until now continues through today, through tomorrow, and into eternity. So Lord, we ask, we ask it in Jesus' name, restore us, O Lord. Amen. As we look at this psalm and as we think about where we are in the book of Psalms, we are given just very brief context here when he says, a song of ascents. And many of you are familiar with the fact that this is one of the songs that would be sung in processional to the temple as the people of the Lord would gather and would ascend the mount there to go and worship together in the temple. This is one in a line of psalms that they would sing together. And this is, in fact, the seventh one in the processional. It's a song of deliverance. 
It's really a, a call to gather together in worship and remember what God has done. And it starts off with this refrain, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Now, interestingly enough, as you may be reading this, and maybe you're reading this in a different translation, what you recognize is maybe your translation says, turn our captivity captive. And the fact of the matter is, the Hebrew phrase is actually quite difficult to translate, but the, the point is exactly the same. See, the picture is that God is turning back the captivity of His people, and that when He ties these words together of turning back with the word of restoring the fortunes, it leads to this whole idea that He is restoring to us what has felt like it was lost, which is really the story of every believer, isn't it? God restoring to us, restoring us that were lost, we might say. God has a restoring power. Everybody who knows Jesus as Savior and Lord here in this place can testify to the restoring power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were once lost and dead in our sin, but praise be to God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved and born again. What wonder of redeeming love that has been poured out in us through Christ Jesus. He says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, and even that phrase is interesting to look at, because you think about Zion and, of course, the reference uh, to the place of the temple specifically, and you think about this being song, sung in processional and this song ringing out across the hillside, and the, the point being restoring this whole sense of the relational enjoyment of worshiping together. This gladness in our hearts of what God has done and what God continues to do. And we need this in our lives, and we need this more than just the songs we sing on a Sunday morning, because life itself is worship. How you treat your wife is an act of worship. How you care for your children is an act of worship. How you live as a single person is an act of worship. All of life is worship. We need these reminders for us that God would stir in our hearts, would restore in our hearts what is broken and needs to be fixed. And even as we think about the fortunes of Zion, it is interesting to think about the temple and the people gathering there in processional to worship at the temple. And then we think of the connection point of the fact that Jesus fulfills every detail of that temple, does he not? The whole picture of the atonement for the forgiveness of sins is fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself. The application of that by our great high priest is none other than Jesus Christ himself. The light in the temple is the light of the world himself, Jesus Christ. The bread there represented in the temple is the bread of life himself, Jesus Christ. The one who cleanses us of our sin, Jesus Christ. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, when the Lord renews our hearts in gladness for the wonder of what Jesus has done for us, we were like those who dreamed. It was better than we could have imagined. It's like a dream come true, you might say. And I wonder here, if for every believer, if you would just take a moment and think back of the time when you knew the redeeming love of Jesus Christ for the first time. Maybe it was here in this place where you came to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Maybe it was on the foot of your bed. Maybe it was at a camp somewhere. 
Maybe it was somebody at work just sharing Christ with you, and all of a sudden, it's like you knew, and you trusted Him, and you laid your life upon His merciful hands and knew that you were saved by grace through faith. It's so good. We're like those who dream. It's like a dream come true. When it's like that, we say, along with the psalm, that our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. When we enjoy something so much, you cannot help but laugh, and you can't hide it when you start to laugh. You ever been in a social situation where you start to laugh, and you're trying to hide it, and you're covering your face, and you're turning away, and you're trying not to shake, but every, the more you hold it in, the more it comes out? Maybe you felt that way if you were anywhere near a Tennessee fan yesterday. I had to do it. Maybe you were doing that in that late night game when you had one eye open and then you saw that two-point conversion happen. You're jumping up and down and it's like you're just laughing. You can't help it. It's just coming out. You can't hide it. It's just overflowing. This is how our joy should be over what God has done for us. That he would stir us to remember what he has done for us and lay upon us the weight and the wonder of that joy in him. Because when we get that joyful, we can't hide it. It's like laughter that just overflows. It's like a shout of joy. It fills our mouths, our tongue with shouts of joy. Songs of victory. We're not talking just fight songs either. I think of surprising songs of victory. I remember after my dad passed away, it was my final semester of seminary. My dad had gone on to be with the Lord. Every single day for months, I would listen to the same song on my way to work and school. Thou, O Lord, from Psalm 3. Thou, O Lord, art a shield to me, the lifter of my head. Even to this day, when I hear the song, I can't help but choke back the tears. But see, that not only was a song of remembrance of the wonder of the fact that I was walking through grief, but God displayed his victory in the fact that he's the lifter of my head, and that even in the midst of loss, there was reason for joy. Shouts of joy, no matter the circumstance. Remember that we would enjoy. And see, we all like to talk about the good old days. And it's funny, every time you talk to somebody about the good old days, the the phrase means something else to somebody else. Because the good old days for you is probably not the same good old days for me. We like the nostalgia, we like to remember, we like to remember the victories and the smiles and the laughter, and we ought to celebrate that God has done so much for us. We ought to look back with enjoyment at what He has done. But we've got to remember that His power that was on display then in the advance of the gospel is the same power that's on display right now in the advance of the gospel. He has not changed. That in remembering the joy of the past, it stirs us for praise in the present, Restore us, Lord, to remember and respond. And that as we do so, as our mouths are filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy, look at what happens in verse 2. It says, Then they said among the nations, 
The Lord has done great things for them. It says, they said among the nations. Within the context of where we are, seeing this word they and tied together with that word nations, which in Hebrew is a word that's consistently used to refer to unbelievers. We're talking about unbelievers noticing the joy and shouts of victory in the lives of those who are believers. Saying, look at what their God has done for them. It's like word is getting out. It's like people are talking. You ever heard people say that? People are talking now. Words getting around. The joy and the worship and the gladness of salvation is undeniable. You can still feel the echo of it from the Festival of Nations last week, can't you? Words getting out. Our unity's in Jesus. Nothing can break that. That's amazing, isn't it? We ought to continue to celebrate that. Think about what he has done, that it would stir us to praise in the present. That as they testify, even unbelievers are looking, look, the Lord has done great things for them. Yahweh, Jehovah, he who was and is and is to come, the only true God, fully revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, he has done great things for them can't help but think about psalm 22 here because if you read psalm 22 it's like reading a thousand year a a commentary that was written about the crucifixion a thousand years before it ever took place and as you're reading psalm 22 listen to how the the words of the psalm end it says they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it he did it He accomplished our salvation. He died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead. And there's forgiveness in life in His name. He did it. And in saving us, there's so much more that He does along with that. So many of us have lives that have been absolutely revolutionized by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We've had marriages transformed and people reconciled one to another. We've had whole parenting methodologies reshaped by the gospel. You have seen how God in His grace can hold a church together and give it peace no matter what. So much undeniable involvement. May the Lord restore us to remember And to rejoice to such a degree that people can't help but notice. You know, when we celebrate something, people notice. It got me to thinking about last weekend. We've moved into a new neighborhood. We've got some new neighbors. We're getting to know them a little bit. Our new neighbors were enjoying themselves last weekend. For 11 hours, there was a mariachi band gathered out behind somebody's house. Everybody around us knew they were celebrating. We knew, well after the sun had set, they were celebrating. And it got me to thinking, is that, do our neighbors take so much notice that we celebrate like that in the Lord? We're joyful in Christ like that. The people can't help but notice what's going on. Amazed in awe and wonder at who Jesus is and how he has done this. And I wonder, before we think about even reaching outside of our homes, is that evident at our own tables? 
Are we enjoying Jesus to the degree that it's evident with your spouse, with your loved ones, through the hard days and the hard realities? And maybe we just need to say, restore us, O Lord. Restore to us the joy of salvation. Which is the exact words from Psalm 51, verse 12, using the exact same Hebrew word as well. That as we verbalize our joy in the Lord and remember what He has done for us, our neighbors can't help but notice. But then we pick up on the refrain, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. One of the things that every single one of us is really good at is forgetting. I'm sure you've had those moments like me where you get up real fast out of whatever chair you were sitting in and you make a beeline across the house or across the office and you make it about two-thirds away and then you just stop and you completely forgot what you were doing. And you're standing there in the moment and all that you can really remember is that you can't remember why you got up. This is how so many people are trying to live their Christian life. We get up and we get all eager and we go running out the door and we're ready to go, but we, we get about two-thirds of the way there and then we realize, wait, what am I doing? And all of a sudden, all we can remember is that we forgot. God, that you would stir our hearts and just remember and just bear into the refrain, the Lord has done great things for us. That we would boast in the cross of Christ like it's talked about in Galatians chapter 6. That he has sustained us through such things. That he has brought such depth of comfort that in times he has withheld from us what we were praying for because he's so good and kind that he knew better than to give it to us. That he has taught us and led us and shaped us and provided for us and cared for us and comforted us. Remember and enjoy and say, we are glad. Is the grace of God and Jesus Christ cheering your disposition today? Something probably is. We get excited about all sorts of things. Maybe, maybe your kids bring a smile to your face. I hope they do. They ought to. You're, maybe it's your grandkids. Lord willing, it's your spouse and your friends. Some of us are going to sit down at lunch whenever I get done talking. And you're going to be like, man, I'm glad to get here finally. Maybe you're one of those people who just can't get enough of Christmas music and you just had to get Bing and Burl started a little early. Trying to get the gladness there. Gladness starts at the cross. Gladness starts with the realization that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Without Christ, we're condemned. But God in love sent His only Son to die on the cross for our sin and rise from the dead. If you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you're saved. You're justified. You're reconciled to Him and made righteous in His sight. All by grace through faith. We're meant to enjoy this. And it's not like enforced enjoyment. 
It's not like the last day of vacation where you, you know, you're frustrated, you spend all that money, and you're trying to make sure that the kids get everything out of it, and you look at them, and you're like, you're going to enjoy this whether you like it or not. That's not how it's supposed to be. We're meant to enjoy Jesus because of who he is and what he's done and just settle down in the gladness of it. But see, this is not just about remembering. That remembering the back then and remembering all the enjoyment and the laughter and the joy and the wonder of his saving grace and his redeeming love and remembering all that and all the smiles it brings to our faces and all the songs it brings to our hearts, remembering all of that is not an end to itself. We remember all of that to compel us right now because the gospel is still the power of God for salvation. We ought to steadfastly refuse to believe that our best days are behind us. God's too good for that. Restore us, O Lord. Not only to remember what you have done. But restore us, O Lord, that we would remember what to do. He says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Turn our captivity. Restore our hearts. Remove us from the desert of our own distraction and the wandering wastes of our own design. Restore us. You hear the plea here? Is this the plea of your heart? When you came to worship this morning, are you crying out, restore us. Restore me to know that Jesus, knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord, is the treasure of all treasures and worth the loss of all things. Turn our hearts into the oasis of your grace. Let it be, as he says it here, like streams in the Negev. The Negev is a desert in the southern portion, really the southeastern portion of the nation of Israel. If you're wondering why it's sometimes translated Negev or Negev, the word and the, the letter in the Hebrew is actually the same letter. It just depends on the vowel pointing of, at the point in time in which it's translated. It's the same word. It's the same place. And as he talks about this place, he says, restore us. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. A word that means dry or parched. That we want the full effects of his reign. And if you think about just the visual illustration here. That whole region is full of what's referred to as wadis, which are dry riverbeds. And when the rains come and those riverbeds are full, what happens is the kalaniots, the anemones, start to bloom out. And all of a sudden, what you see is what looked like a a dry, parched wasteland turns into a blooming springtime wonder of God's work. You see the picture? You hear the request? And then you start to ask it yourself. Lord, out of the ugliest of my circumstances and the ugliest realities of my life, bring forth the beauty of your grace. Pour down your showers of blessing that where I am dry and parched and worn out and weary and sorrowful and broken, refresh me yet Again, bring down the goodness of your reign, Lord, that you would bloom out in the midst of my weariness. 
where I have worn myself ragged trying to do everything myself. Bring me back to the wonder of just enjoying your grace and seeing that your power is made perfect in my weakness. Bring a flash flood of life. Restore us to remember what to do. Because in verse 5, he says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. See, we're all sowing something, aren't we? Every single day of our lives, we're sowing something. We're scattering the seeds of what we believe is most significant. And I'm not saying it, it takes over every conversation, but I, do, I am saying that it can become the pathway through every conversation that leads to a better place. Because I wonder if we're sowing the seeds of sports more than we're sowing the seeds of salvation. I wonder if we spend more time sowing the seeds of politics rather than sowing the seeds of the power of the gospel. We are meant, we are designed, we are called to sow the seed of the gospel. The message that Jesus has come, lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin, went to the cross, died in our place, and rose again. And there's forgiveness and life in His name. Now we sow that seed in tears. That's a recognition of the fact it's not always easy. There's bad soil out there. Jesus told us that. There are enemies out there who do not want us sowing that seed. Physical enemies and spiritual enemies. But see, our tears ought to pour out in sorrow over the lost. As Charles Spurgeon famously said it, winners of souls are first weepers for souls. And I wonder in reading this text, when was the last time you wept for a lost person? When was the last time the tears streamed down your cheeks because you thought of where that ends? See, that motivates us to go get the seed out, doesn't it? Start sowing. Because God has placed you and placed me and placed us together and equipped us now. He's put you in your sphere of influence and me in my sphere of influence and you in your neighborhood, me in my neighborhood for the very same mission. He's planted this church right here for this very purpose. That as we weep for those dwelling in darkness, treading on the razor's edge of eternity, right right about to plunge headlong into hell if they never know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Weep. Because we have the answer. Don't we? Aren't we glad somebody did some tearful sowing in our own lives? Aren't we glad mama or grandmama or brother or sister or stranger or whoever shared with you the sweet gospel message? See, not only do we sow in tears, we sow in tears with an expectation that we shall reap with shouts of joy. Tears are not where this ends. Joy is. 
more reason for rejoicing. As heaven rejoices in the salvation, so also do we. We reap with shouts of joy. And the bountiful sowing leads to bountiful reaping. Now this sounds obvious, doesn't it? Wouldn't it be frustrating if you were talking to a farmer somewhere and he was looking out across the barren field and he was like, you know, nothing, nothing came out of the ground this year. I'm like, oh yeah, well what seed did you plant out there? He said, I didn't plant any seed out there. He'd be like, what's wrong with you? Isn't it obvious for the church as well? Are we scattering the seed? See, we can remember all the victories of the past and all the wonders of what he's done back then, but don't forget to be faithful right now. Keep sowing that seed. Keep expecting God to keep his promise. Keep expecting the power of the gospel to do exactly what he said it would do. Because we're told here in verse 6, He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So we're going out weeping with compassion in our hearts. Because fellow image bearers, fellow people who have been created in the image of God need to know that there is salvation. People who are dwelling in darkness, people who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who are hopeless and weary, who do not know that there is a way of hope, and are living testimonies of the fact that ignorance is not bliss. Let tears soften their hearts and fertilize the soil that as you go out and you carry the seed wherever you go, Maybe you're going to leave this place and you're going to go right to that bedside of that loved one who needs to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And with tears down your face, you're going to plead with them to trust in Jesus. Maybe you're going to walk right back into that field of curiosity and doubt that belongs to one of your children or grandchildren. Maybe you're going to walk right into that field where your neighbors are and they've heard it over and over and over again and they're just full of indecision. Soak the ground in tears, carry the seed of the gospel and expect God to keep his word as he said he would in Isaiah chapter 55 when he said this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We'll come home with shouts of joy, bringing sheaves with him. Shouts of joy because Jesus saves. Because Jesus transforms lives. Because Jesus still forgives. Jesus still redeems. Jesus still rescues. Jesus still calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And that if we as a church and we as individuals want deeper joy, we need to get out into the fields with tears in our eyes. And rest sure that God keeps his promise when we come home with sheaves. Harvest bundles. Notice he didn't say a sheaf. He said sheaves. And that every semblance of growth is reason for joy. We ought to delight every time somebody comes to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. The kingdom is advancing. 
But as people are saved by grace through faith, and it's a free gift of God that no one would boast, it's not like God's grace ends there. That just so opens up a whole world of grace and a whole world of fruitfulness. So we rejoice in the sheaves of salvation and the wonder of what he's done there, but we rejoice in all the the fruitfulness of sanctification and reconciliation and hope and comfort and maturity and care and a harvest of righteousness, and it's just bountiful, and it's like the more that comes in, the more you see it coming in the back door, and it's just amazing. Restore us, Lord, to remember that we have work to do. That you have been faithful in the past and you are faithful right now. And maybe as we read this passage here, you recognize in your own heart. You don't have anything to remember yet. But isn't God good? Because today is another day of salvation. Today is another merciful opportunity. Because every single one of us in here has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We may not like to talk about it, but we've all lied and lusted. We've all hated people. We've all worshipped things that we should not have worshipped and we all stand accountable for it. And the, the only hope that's offered out there, the only real hope of forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation with the righteous and holy God is Jesus Christ himself. God's gift of love, whom he sent, born of a virgin, fully God and fully man, lived a real human life, was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin, and in love died on the cross in our place. Bearing the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin. That he would take all of it. That all who repent and believe and trust in Jesus would have his forgiveness and everlasting life. And be clothed in his righteousness forever. It's time to have something to remember. It's time to trust in Jesus for the first time time today to turn away from your sin and believe that Jesus died on a cross for you and rose from the dead. You can go home with something to remember. But for all of us in here also who are believers, for all the stories that we tell, remember when Remember all the stories we can tell about balconies being full and pews being full and we can remember when and tell these stories. We ought to remember those things. Those are good things. But the same God who did that then is the same God who does that now. And I wonder if you'd take just a moment before we close. Who's one person that you can weep for today? Who's one person that you know needs to know Jesus as Savior and Lord? And I wonder if you would ask God to break your heart for them. And that before you reach out to them, you cry tears before the Lord and saturate the soil with sorrow. And then go share the good news of Jesus Christ and watch God keep 
his word. However the Spirit leads this morning, I invite you to respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Restore us, O Lord. For the person who's here today who has never known Jesus as Savior and Lord, Father, we pray that today would be the day of their salvation. We pray that by your Spirit you would bring such profound conviction in their heart and life. That they would run from their sin and run right into your merciful hands and would say, I cast my life upon you. I ask for forgiveness and that they would cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Lord, that they would leave this place justified by grace, through faith, in Jesus. Trusting that he died on the cross for their sin and rose from the dead. And Father, for every one of us here today, we all need some restoration work. Restore us, O Lord, that we would remember what you have done And that we would remember what to do. Send us out from this place, Lord. With tears in our eyes. Looking forward to the joy that is to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.